Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and Josh, this holiday season, here's how I'm going to murder you. I'm going to get my hand possessed by an ancient demonic druid. You know what? Forget it, Josh. I'm just going to take a ball peen hammer and smash your skull in. You really? This is getting more disturbing <laughs> each time you bring up this topic of murdering me, even when we're watching dark horror movies. It just it seems like you're really getting too into it. Well, up with these things. Yeah, well, this one I was trying to stick to the movie here, but it just it just is a mishmash of nonsense. So I I just went with the what what do I have in the garage? Oh, a hammer. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> that'll lump Josh's head. All good. Wonderful. Well, smashy what a way to smash. Start. Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it is Halloween is the holiday, so the dark macabre stuff is appropriate, and that is why Josh we are talking macabre. Well, macabre, it's a it's a French word. You don't have to acknowledge what I said, Josh. You could have kept going. (laughs) Let's clean that up. Next, leave it in. Yeah. So because of the season, we are doing a few special episodes here, looking at some spooky movies from some of the years that we have covered in our past seasons. And we just finally closed the book on 1992 in our last episode. And now we are taking a look back at another year that was very popular with listeners. That was 1999. And one thing that we did in our 1999 season for our audience choice was this very involved tournament that Jason kind of put together. Usually we just give a few choices and people pick one, but we had a whole, we got brackets and I, I don't even know. Well, there was a lot of things. Coin spreads. Yeah. You know. for, uh, for, for teen movies, which were huge in 1999. And ultimately, the winner of that was Election, which we talked about in an episode. And we actually also did a bonus episode on the runner-up for that tournament, which was American Pie. Those movies, I feel like we were expecting to be winners or close to the winners. But one thing that really surprised us when we did that whole thing was how far this movie, Idle Hands, made it in our tournament. It was a semi-finalist. It was knocked out eventually by Cruel Intentions, which was itself knocked out before the finals. But still, I think this was a movie, Jason, you were the one who kind of put the whole thing together. And my impression, maybe I'm wrong, was that this was a movie where maybe we needed a certain number of movies. And so you just kind of threw it in there without expecting anything out of it. Yeah, this was the Cinderella story, Josh, you know, that (laughs) uh, the 16 seed beating the one seed, so to speak. Yeah, and then it just kept winning, you know? It was a real March Madness-style situation. But I didn't need... I just, you know, there, like we said, in 1999, we could have put more teen movies in there. That's how many teen comedies were being made and teen movies in general. But you got to put this one in there. And I thought it would lose very early on. But like you said, it, it rocketed to the semifinals. It did. And not only that, but I think we got a lot of responses from people when this was... When we posted this, when we posted these matchups that included this movie, we got a lot of responses from people who are really enthused, I think, about the potential for us to do an episode about this film. Dave, I believe your uh, erstwhile co-host on other podcasts, Q, was a big fan of this film. Is that yeah, right? absolutely. One of those like college stoner things, you know? 
Yeah, I think these they're going to be so excited that we're doing this episode. Their hands are going to be anything but idle while listening. They're going to be mm. clicking listen on this episode. <laughs> and like oh, yeah, and five I, stars and meant. all of the yeah. above. Yeah. That's what they yeah. should following us on social media. Like right. there's lots all of options things. you can do with your hands while you're listening to this thing. <laughs> if only we had the ability to like possess people's hands to automatically click on those things for our podcast. Oh, yeah. really, that's that's what we need, right? That's that is really a good use of possession of hands, Josh. I think so. Well, it's better than murdering people. And <laughs> it's more positive. <laughs> Meh. So I was somewhat surprised given the enthusiasm for this movie. I thought, oh, this must have been big in 1999 and it just passed me by for whatever reason. But no, it was a huge failure. So this is a movie that I guess has become sort of a cult classic over the course of home video and maybe airings on cable Things like that, which we've talked about a lot with yeah. other films. I think, like Dave said, a bunch of stoner kids in college just like, let's watch Idle Hands. And then it finds a place in their heart. And now, 20 years later, they're trying to relive their youth through us, which is really a bad idea. Yeah, there's nothing youthful about us. But <laughs> um, at the time that it was released, it grossed only $4.2 million on its $25 million budget. So really massive, massive flop. It was apparently controversial because it was released not long after the Columbine shooting in the school shooting in Colorado. And even though to me, I wouldn't think of this movie particularly as uh, offensive related to school shootings, I guess in part because the big climax does take place at a school dance. There was a lot of sensitivity around that. We've become so desensitized right. to school yeah. shootings now. It's like this seems quaint, but that was apparently potentially a factor in this movie not making money at the box office. It was mentioned in multiple reviews that I looked up, so it was definitely a thing that was going on at the time. I don't think they played it in Colorado around this time, and like uh, we've talked about before, it's sad that um, you know everyone's just like, oh, another another day, another one of these, right? You know, and they, and they just move on. Now we can go get our chicken McNuggets because the school shooting of the day took place. Um, but Joe Lieberman, former vice presidential candidate and senator said of idle hands in a in congress he called it another grossly violent film targeted at teens that uses killings as a form of comic relief i mean that is true but i don't think it's something that congress needs to be concerned about what does congress need to be concerned about josh I think that's a separate podcast that possibly you can listen to with Dave and Q. Yeah, on the all points like network. that. But yeah, <laughs> that is outside the purview of Awesome Movie Year, and I'm glad that it is. All right, well, don't 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 get ready for Awesome Congress Year, but no, never get ready for that <laughs> in real life. In, <laughs> in real life, either. So. Yeah. So um, this was I loved that uh, this was nominated at the Teen Choice Awards for the most disgusting scene award, and it lost. It was nominated <laughs> for uh, a scene in which the main character's cat is found licking the eyeball, the severed eyeball of his dead mother, which seems like a good candidate for the most disgusting scene award. But it lost to the much, much more famous uh, semen in the hair scene in There's Something About Mary. I thought something about Mary. That was, wasn't that 98? I don't know. Whatever. I mean, it was the empty, like the awards maybe weren't by calendar year. I feel like those awards are happening in the middle of the year and they're just whatever fits in a certain time frame. I don't know. I looked this up, man. Okay. I found the answer. <laughs> well, Josh, 
Jessica Alba at one point in time did win the Guys Choice Award for hottest Jessica. So that's that's, a, that's an award. <laughs> that's that's horrifying that that was a thing. Um, so this movie not only did it not make a lot of money, it didn't seem like people even audiences were all that into it. It got a C plus cinema score from the audience polling service, and that that's bad because again, that's that's the people who were most excited to see it. They went opening night. And that was a very lukewarm response from those people. So it really it really took a while to win over audiences and fans, it seems like. At the time, not really anybody was into it. I, I sadly couldn't find the video of Siskel and Ebert reviewing this movie because I'm sure that would have been very entertaining to watch. And they probably would have made some jokes about their thumbs having minds of their own. <laughs> but it did not appear to be available online. Do you think, Josh, that um, you know, it took a while to, for people to catch up? Because this movie was ahead of its time, or should I say, a hand of its time? No, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> God. <laughs> Definitely not. So critics did not like this movie, although Roger Ebert was actually sort of generous to it. He said, Idle Hands samples other teen horror movies like a video DJ with a tape deck, exhibiting high spirits and a crazed comic energy. It doesn't quite work, but it goes down swinging with a disembodied hand. There's no really convincing comic inspiration behind the effect scenes, and although we might laugh at some of the goofiness, a movie like this works best when the effects are a means, not an end. The movie has energy and is probably going to attract a young audience, especially on video, since the R rating will keep away some viewers in its target audience, which is junior high school boys. Hmm. Interesting. I'd say high school boys also. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, we were, well, uh, we were out of high school by 1999, I guess. So maybe we were too mature mature for this film. (laughs) No, I didn't see American Pie when it was in the theaters, you know, so. Right, right. So, I mean, but I think Ebert is, obviously he's right that this did find an audience on home video. And I can see this as the kind of movie that 13-year-old boys or whatever would want to see because it's got, you know, gore and dumb jokes and boobs or whatever but but in my estimation not enough of any of those things well we could get into that but that they would want to see it but that they might not be able to go to the theater to see it they might have to wait until you know a parent could rent it for them at a sleepover or something like that and that that's how it would build its following because they watched it and it was semi-forbidden or whatever and then they have that memory of it, Jason, like you were saying, the nostalgia that this builds up until now. Do you have any movies like that from your youth? I would ask Dave, but he was already watching with his parents, as we find out every week. But do you have any uh, like forbidden movies that you snuck through watching? I, I remember I, I don't remember exactly what the rules were that my parents had laid down, but I definitely remember when I was in like maybe fourth grade or something like that, going to a friend's house and. He had like boxes of VHS tapes. And at least at that time, I must have not been able to or not been allowed to watch R-rated movies because I remember being really excited. And we watched the first Police Academy movie. Which, mm. Sadly, I think we've discussed my weird childhood love for the it's Police not Academy a bad movie, movies, you know, and so. uh, and Cobra starring Sylvester Stallone. And I feel like there was one other. I have this very distinctive memory of getting these movies from this box. And there were three of them. But, I don't remember what the third one. But was. Police Academy was a party movie and it had like the shower scenes and the, you know, when you're a young 
young adolescent, those are the types of movies you were looking for on VHS there. Oh, yeah. And I was excited about it. And of course, the thing about the Police Academy movies was that they became this weirdly like family friendly franchise. And so the later ones were much tamer. But the first one was an R-rated movie. And so I hadn't seen it. And so, yeah, maybe people experience the same phenomenon with idle hands. It's entirely possible. Mm. But um, critics, again, not uh it didn't win them over my their hands were an idol they were too busy typing bashing reviews of this they thing. were they were indeed uh, other critics were not as generous as roger ebert was uh robert kohler in variety said the devil doesn't get enough of his due in the would-be horror romp idle hands which will be most remembered as the 1999 movie that tried and failed to push devin sawa to the front of the teen star class this demographically correct project is too calculated by half and underwritten by about as much as witlessly unaware of its faltering sense of comedy as its stoner dude heroes are of everyday reality. Perhaps thinking he had a farce to play with, director Rodman Flender encourages tons of mugging. By overplaying what should be underplayed, Helmer and cast deliver a fatal stab to the intended comedy horror. Mm. I would have overplayed it more, but what do I know? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of am with you, I think, because this movie is trying to be, on the one hand, almost like dead alive or something like that that we talked about in a recent episode. But on the other hand, it does have these like rising teen stars and it has to showcase them in a tiger beat friendly kind of way or whatever and it's sort of stuck in the middle ground that doesn't succeed at either of those things it's idling in a few of those things josh it is it is indeed you've got so many puns in this episode (laughs) you gotta hand it you gotta hand it to me josh i will hand it to you i will hand it to you with both hands good (laughs) (laughs) so finally uh lawrence van gelder in the new york times said Even pretensions toward the humorous and hip cannot save this blood-drenched film from its innate tastelessness, calculated to find its audience among those, like its hero and his friends, whose vapid lives are a celebration of truancy, marijuana, and junk food in a virtually parentless habitat that stretches only from bed to television set. The main question is whether the repentant Anton, that's the main character, separated from his evil hand with the aid of a cleaver and his good-natured pals in the form of ghouls can get to the big Halloween dance in time to save Anton's girlfriend before the hand whisks her off to hell. The answer is not something that most moviegoers will want to pay to learn. And most didn't. (laughs) That's true. But I did like that he's basically insulting the potential audience for the movie here. in, in the beginning of this review. I'm all for so. insulting potential audiences, especially on Dave's podcast, piece, yeah. piecing it together where those slop pigs listen and slop up all the goodness we give them when we do trailers. Slop it on up, you piggies. Yeah, but if you're listening a, to this episode, we love you. Yeah, that's a great endorsement <laughs> for those piecing it together episodes. Aye, aye, aye. Um, but yeah, I mean, he seems like he has sort of contempt for the potential teen stoner audience for this movie that it is aiming for. And it is aiming for that audience, and and that's fine. That's a real audience, and they deserve to have movies for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stop embargoing those teen stoners movie industry. I mean, yeah, you know, look, uh, we've talked about this going back to, like, the 77 season with Kentucky Fried Movie. Like, 
there is a total stoner comedy audience and of all ages and uh, some True. really funny stoner movies out there. There are. You've written about a lot of stoner movies, Josh. I have. I spent uh, quite a long time writing for a cannabis magazine here in Vegas called Elevate. Uh, R.I.P. Elevate no longer exists. But I did write about a lot of stoner movies. And in that process, learned or I mean, I think kind of already knew, but discovered even more that, Jason, as you say, there are a lot of really funny ones, a lot of really entertaining ones. I know you don't agree, but we did a whole episode about one of my favorites called Smiley Face. This movie is not one of them. This Mm. movie is not on any of my lists of stoner movies to watch. It is a very bad movie. Name a couple of others that you really like. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I enjoy the Harold and Kumar movies. I think the the second one's not so good, but the first one and the third one, the Christmas one, I feel like that's especially an underrated uh, stoner movie. And I, I, you know, we, I had noted down for the legacy here to talk about, you know, maybe stoner horror movies, which is a real niche genre, but there's quite a lot yeah. of them, or at least more than you might expect there to be. But yeah, that's, that's kind of what comes up offhand. But I mean, I think when we talked about Wayne's world, for example, even though that nobody gets stoned in that movie, I feel like those kind of like, you know, jovial, slightly dim-witted buddy movies are often considered stoner movies, whether it's that or like the Bill and Ted movies or Beavis and Butthead or, or, or things along those lines. I do like Dude, Where's My Car? That's a stoner movie. Yeah. A, a, good a one. duo of, of idiots. I, I would say all the Apatow stuff and especially Superbad, which we covered. Um, my favorite is, uh, which I think it transcends the genre, which I also think that Superbad does is Dazed and Confused. Right. And I think those are both movies that people don't really think of them as stoner movies first, but but they certainly involve plenty of that uh, activity getting so stoned qualifies getting stoned exactly i like those movies too especially dazed and confused dave you want to throw any in there eh, half baked friday how high maybe Oof. how high <laughs> yeah have you seen how high too i have not and i don't think i ever will so. no it is, that is that is that is dreadful yeah that is really really the one of the low points anyway <laughs> speaking of low points idle hands <laughs> Did you see this as a as a teen or in college, Jason? Nah, nah. I didn't even watch it for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Jason is Jason is high right now, barely paying attention to what we're doing. He's wearing I'd sunglasses never... for everyone at home. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. he's wearing sunglasses. <laughs> That's true. I'd never seen it until this week, till we started uh, covering it here. Yeah, no, and I had never seen it either, despite like I said, having written a lot of various stoner movie related articles over a period. Of years, I don't know if this was ever on a list where I thought, oh, I should check that one out to see if it's worth including in an article. But um, I, I don't recall when it came out if I had any interest in seeing it. But I didn't want to see it. It looked really dumb to me back then. And it, in fact, is really dumb. So <laughs> I had had no real interest in seeing it. And this is, I think, why it was so surprising how many people were so enthused about it when we were doing this tournament, because it was not something that really crossed our minds as being of any interest. So um, maybe we will disappoint those people. I don't know. I thought this was awful. So mm. I'll just say that right away. I mean, if you're an Idle Hands fan listening. It was so popular, Josh, I, that like it gained such an audience. Did you know they were going to remake it with like Kelly Clarkson as the lead? This is leading up to some joke. It was, they were going to call it American Idle Hands. Oh, God. <laughs> that was that was you're really proud of that one. I'm not proud written, of any of these. Or did you just come up? No, with that? I don't have any of these written, Dave. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
Amazing. Dave, this seems like a movie that you would have seen as a teenager. It does, but I don't remember ever watching it. Q, as you brought up earlier, is a big fan of this. He claims we watched this together many times. I must have been stoned or drunk or something because I don't remember it at all. So this is basically the first time I've seen it, at least sober. Yeah. I feel like that's best where you had an enjoyable experience of being stoned and or drunk and you didn't have to remember seeing this movie. <laughs> yeah. Josh doesn't like it. Of course, I like the 80s prequel with the singer from Rebel Yell, Billy Idlehands. I'm done. Let's oh. move on. Okay. All righty. <laughs> no more puns. No more uh, anything else on the background about. Let's see. Uh, 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 nope. All right. Well, we'll come back then in a moment and talk more of our general thoughts on Idlehands. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special Halloween episode, second of our special Halloween episodes this month, we are talking about a, a an apparently very popular movie with some of our listeners from 1999 called Idle Hands, a stoner horror comedy. And I didn't like it, as we have already established, but I feel like, Jason, you liked it more than I did, or at least disliked it less. You want to start with something positive? Yeah, I actually kind of was like totally, it was just fine. You know, like I don't, I won't go out of my way to watch it again, but I was amused enough by it. Um, and that it was, it was, and I like holiday, you know, fun, good movies. Uh, I mean, we just did Death Becomes Her, which really has nothing to do with any holiday. So, you know, I don't know why we did that for Halloween. But. Well, it's, it's kind of spooky and macabre. Mm, as uh, macabre. <laughs> Mm. Right. And it's supernatural. So but yeah, it does not. This movie uh, takes actually takes place on Halloween. So not only does it have the horror aspect, but it has the specific holiday. Yeah, they lean into that nicely. A lot of it just goes nowhere. But a lot of it, uh, you know, when they deliver something good, I, I enjoyed it. It's quick. It doesn't overstay. It's welcome except for you. Um, and, uh, it, it's a good time piece of the nineties when you could do something like this, I guess. I mean, I will say it is quite a nineties time capsule between the cast and the soundtrack and the characters obsessions with MTV and things like that. It very much feels, even though this is the, this is the end of the nineties, it very much feels like this kind of time capsule of the period. Yeah. It was a uh, referendum on the decade. I hear what you're oh, saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, and it has this sort of eighties hangover to it because, uh, as well, because the character played by Jack Noseworthy, the neighbor that they, for some reason decide must know about satanic possession or whatever is really into kind of eighties hard rock bands. That's why they decide that he must know about Satan because he listens to one Motley Crue song. They just play, they just obviously could only license the one Motley Crue song. So he, they just play it like four times. He really likes Shout at the Devil. That is apparently the only song that he can play in his truck. And at one point, he wears a Quiet Riot t-shirt, I think. So, I mean, this was like, these are the worst examples of satanic music that you could come up with. Like, at least have him listen to Cannibal Corpse or something. I mean, you could have so. gotten rid of that character completely. You could have gotten rid of the Vivica A. Fox character completely. And um, that would have been that would have been fine. Like those are worthless characters, right? Yes, they. Well, I would argue that this movie is full of worthless characters. But but yes, I mean, Jack Noseworthy especially does absolutely nothing. His character is completely useless. It's not like he actually has some secret knowledge. They ask him, what does he know about hands being possessed? And he's like, oh, 
And um, the only purpose he serves is that when Vivica Fox's character comes to town and she's this sort of demon hunter who's been tracking the evil possessed thing that possesses hands, there's very, very, like nothing is clear. No, there's no explanation. And, you know, how did he get so? But I just do want to say, Dave. Jack Noseworthy, the Encyclopedia Britannica guy. I always thought Josh looked like him. Do you remember that, Josh? How I always said you were looked like the Encyclopedia Britannica guy. Is that him, though? I think so. And then he I, went, yeah, I thought so. I think it's not him. Um, I feel like we need to look this up now. You guys look it up. I'll keep talking. But you are right, Josh, whether it is him or not. Like, so the hand just starts doing the thing and there's no explanation of it until like the middle of the movie and it's like you would think they could have explained that early in the movie to help like okay this is why this is happening right and we do have a scene with Vivica A. Fox early where she tracks like the last person that was idly handed right and like they could have like been like oh here's what happened and then that would have been set up but they don't tell us anything until like halfway through also another thing that happens is he murders his best friends because his hand murders him. And I thought the murder of um, Panub was like a fun murder. You know, that's a good decapitation. Even the character names are this time capsule of dumb, like the worst of 90s pop culture. <laughs> but then they just come back, right? Like, and they're like, yeah, we're back. But did the parents come back at all? No, no one comes back. This is, yeah, this is a horrible, like, it's just so lazy, right? You want the, the friends to be undead because it's funny. Okay, fine. Fair enough. But the reason, there's no reason whatsoever. They're like, oh, yeah, we, uh, we, we decided we didn't want to go to heaven, so we just came back. Like, is that a thing that anyone can do? And you're, you're absolutely right, Jason. It's, it's so idiotic. It's like, it's insulting even to the intelligence of this potential, like, stoned teen audience, you know? Um, yeah, and Vivica Fox... The explanation that she does eventually give is so half-hearted, like, oh, it's this this ancient entity that possesses the like laziest person that it can find and then decides to take someone to hell at midnight. Who? I don't know. Whoever. Why? Who knows why? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's no reasoning behind any of this whatsoever. Also, this kid's parents were both murdered and then he figured out like, oh, I murdered my parents. He did not care at all about not one his bit. parents being murdered. <laughs> no, no. He's a horribly unsympathetic character. And it's not just that he's lazy or that he's stoned. He is seems like a complete sociopath. And, and the friends are even worse. The friends seem to be actively discouraging him from saving people's lives and doing anything to help anyone. Well, they got to get high, man. Yeah, I mean, okay, but when they're getting high as a like deliberate way to avoid helping someone from being killed, it does not come off well. Mm. Um, by the way, if Jack Noseworthy is not the person from the Encyclopedia Britannica oh, commercials, well, it is some guy named Donovan Freeberg. So, we're uh, well, I think I always thought Jack Noseworthy was the Encyclopedia Britannica guy, which you are. So I take it back. You are not Jack Noseworthy, but you are the Encyclopedia Britannica guy still. Well, that's important for us to clear that. Yeah. So, Josh, you did not star in the Bon Jovi music video for Always. But you did tell me why it was important to have a set of encyclopedias in my home and how to call to receive them. 
Yeah, I did. Ha- we did have Encyclopedia Britannica in my house when I was a kid, though. So. Leave all this out. <laughs> no, leave all this in. People don't know how hard it was before the internet when you had to like look stuff up and research stuff. Okay, back to IRS, <laughs> please. <laughs> I think there's there's some aspect of that like half-heartedness to the explanation of the mythology that's meant to be funny. Like to to fast forward to the end, and not that this movie wor- we need to worry about spoilers or whatever, but just in case. When they finally defeat the hand, right? Vivica Fox, who is this ancient part of some ancient druidic order or something, right? She has this magical dagger that can defeat the hand and they finally do it. They, she throws it at the hand and it just goes right in. And then the hand like kind of poofs away and Seth Green's character even is like, that's it. That's all it was. And I think that's meant to be sort of funny Tongue in like cheek, an ironic yeah. anticlimactic way. And it doesn't work at all. But I could see that that was kind of what they're going for. And then Vivica Fox immediately afterwards is like, oh, okay, let's go have sex with Jack Noseworthy. She doesn't even retrieve her ancient mystical dagger. She just leaves it on the floor. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think it was work. It worked, but I think it was meant to be fun. Well, that that whole sequence was a reshoot. The the sequence there where they're in the the auto shop, I guess. Right. There was like. The original sequence was them in a pool and it, they said it didn't work. So they did this whole auto shop sequence. Um, Josh, I have a great quote from Seth Green where he told the uh, where he said this of idle hands. He said, the best thing about that movie was that everybody working on it had a different mission statement. We all thought we were making a different movie. Me and the boys, the other actors, Devin and Eldon. We were convinced we were making a high drama with some comedic elements, and we tried to make our relationship as lifelong best friends believable. The director, Rodman Flender, was attempting to make a throwback Italian horror film like a Dario Argento flick. The writers really wanted it to be Heather's, and the studio was listening to the test marketing and saying that they really wanted the zombies to be cuter and have more wacky antics, and apparently all the kids in the audience thought that there should be more pot smoking that pot should save the day, and somewhere, somehow, Jessica Alba needed to get her top ripped off. And that's how the whole new ending got shot, where she ends up on the car lift and gets her midsection ripped off and pot saves the day. Like, I build a giant bomb out of a carburetor. Yeah, well, I appreciate that Seth Green is aware of how terrible this movie is. And and it, it doesn't surprise me that all of these people were trying to do different things with this movie. And I guess that studio conception or the, the audience polling conception of it won out because it comes, it, it is mainly that it's not in any way remotely scary. It doesn't resemble a Dario Argento movie in any way. It's not funny. And it certainly isn't like emotionally resonant with the relationship of the lifelong best friends. They all seem like total dicks who hate each other. Listen, um, here's my issue, right? Like when we talked about Dead Alive, right? What what was so great is just how much he leaned into everything, right? And my thing is like, look, this is a teen movie. You want gore, you want dumb weed jokes, and you want nudity, right? Sex and nudity. That's what this movie should have been. They should have leaned into all of that. There should have been like 80s teen sex romp with a bunch of stoners and a bunch of like 80s horror murders. And that's where it should have gone, right? They, they didn't do enough of any of those things to make it really work. Right. I mean, and I think Jessica Alba, even at this time, was probably too famous to agree to do actual nudity in a movie like this. But 
They do have that one scene where some random character that we've never seen before is Put topless. Kelly Monaco. There, there you go. Um, so, you know, she's, uh, oh yeah, she used to have, I think I've seen her topless in person maybe because she used to have a Vegas show. I think my mm. dad has a uh, picture of her on the wall at Wax Tracks. Wow. A lot of, <laughs> right. a lot of Kelly Monaco boobies in this uh in this uh <laughs> yeah group. i didn't recognize her there, i didn't either but, um, yeah. that definitely feels like a scene and i don't know if that was part of the reshoots but it's like here are these two characters who we've never seen before never see again that are having this makeout session and then the woman takes her top off and then the hand comes and kills them like it really feels like it was inserted solely because there was some note along the way like we need a topless scene but yeah i mean i think more ridiculousness like that would have been good. Maybe more of the over-the-top stoner stuff would have been good. More gore. This movie is not... I, I agree. And they set yeah. up that whole kill with Tanya where she's going to go through the blade, the fan, you know, and then right. they don't even show the kill, which would have been a great kill to show. Right. And I wonder if maybe because this was supposed to be, even though it's R-rated, if it was supposed to be mainstream, they had to maybe like not have too much of that because that would turn some people off who wanted to see a stoner comedy. I don't know. It's clear that no one understood what this movie was supposed to be and that it ends up as this giant mess in the process. But um, the other thing about Jessica Alba, A, Jessica Alba is not a good actor. Uh, she's very, very attractive, but is not a very good actor. But also her character is horrible. Her character is so incredibly stupid that she's practically seems like she's brain dead to refer back to dead alive. The scene where she's like seducing uh, Anton, the main character played by Devin Sawa, and he's busy trying to prevent his hand from murdering her. She is so oblivious. It goes beyond comedy into like concern for her mental well-being, I feel like. <laughs> is that a, more of a commentary on how, you know, the teen love interests were treated back in the day? Well, it's definitely some of that. I mean, she's definitely not treated as like a fully realized human being. Not that any of these people really are, but she is clearly just an object for him to obsess over. And even though he he claims to be really wowed by her creativity, right? Her song lyrics that she writes, which he quotes these terrible song lyrics that she's written that he thinks are brilliant, but that never really comes back. You know, another thing where it's like, this seems like this is an important character trait and maybe somehow it's going to be relevant that she's a musician. They go to a dance where there's a band on stage performing, and yet none of that ever comes up. The band being the offspring who should never, yes. ever, ever again be allowed to cover the Ramones. That was the worst part of this movie. Shame on them. <laughs> the, only, the only part of this movie that I was like amused by was when the hand scalps uh, yeah. Dexter Holland. Yeah. Literally the, the best offspring. part of the movie, yeah. That really yeah. was. Yeah. Uh, Josh. Here's some fun facts for you. Mm, I like fun facts. When Anton is afraid and trying to search his house, he pushes his dog into the hallway before him. During the scene, the dog is clearly seen having an erection. <laughs> oh, I missed that. That's great. Did you notice that or did you only read this later? I'm just reading stuff now, Josh. Uh, but I um, okay. here was something I didn't understand and that I am glad I looked up. You remember when like uh, he kills the two police officers? And Seth Green goes, go, go, Buffalo. I'm like, what? What is that? What does that oh, even I mean? That. Well, he yeah. says, go, go, Buffalo. By the way, the police officer kills were pretty fun where he, he zaps one to death and everything. Yeah, but again, it was just like kind of toned down and it could have been 
it could have been gorier. If that's what you're going for, like be Peter. Go Jackson. for it. Just yeah. Go for it. Yeah. But so he yells, go, go Buffalo. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like that's not a saying or something. Right. <laughs> so this is what I read about it. This is a reference to a deleted scene in which Anton remembers the two police officers as the head in the ass of the school mascot, go, go Buffalo. But it's funny that they like didn't, leave the explanation of why that would make sense, but decided to leave the line in there. And the line, it's not an effective line. You could have easily have cut it, but they're just like, eh, eh the first edit has it. In. We'll just leave it in there. And that, that scene sounds horrifying. I'm now, I'm thinking that I don't remember if on the DVD that I got, if there were deleted scenes, but I, I'm almost morbidly curious to watch what even worse stuff they cut out of this movie. That would be fun. Jack Noseworthy and Katie Wright, who played Tanya, did not know they were half-siblings until they met on the set of this movie. Not sure how that one works. Is that true? That's crazy. <laughs> right. So that's a weird one. And then it's a very weird one. I want to see a movie about that. Yeah. Like that's a way fun more interesting yeah. than the movie. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> right. And how do you get around to that? Like, at what point in the discussion do you go, wait a second? You're, You're my sister. My yeah. yeah. How does that even occur? <laughs> I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know is that the theatrical poster for this movie can be seen in Dawson's Creek season three in the video store that Pacey and Dawson work at. And that brought me back. Well, I think Robin Flender directed some Dawson's Creek episodes, which is probably the reason for that. But I did enjoy Dawson's Creek more than Idle Hands, certainly. And, uh, that was what I was watching in 1999, Dawson's Creek, not Idle Hands. All right. Well, Josh, I think the last thing we need to talk about is uh, why isn't Devin Sawa as big as Tom Cruise? It was weird because like that was referenced also multiple times that I guess he was on this sort of track to become this big teen star. And he'd been a child actor, too. So he'd been around for a little while. And I think this was partly one of his... Uh, efforts to do a slightly more, I don't know if mature is really the right word, but, but older role. Yeah. An older role, something that, 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 that messes with this wholesome image that he might've had. And yeah, there's multiple people who talk about the idea that this was this attempt to make him a big star. And that obviously didn't work. I mean, this movie was a failure and whatever else he did at the time, he didn't have any kind of vehicle to become that huge star. And I don't know. I mean, I don't really recall him being such a big deal around this time, but I, I guess he was a good looking young man. I mean, I feel like also in this movie, they make him so greasy and dress him in these horrible, unflattering baggy clothes that if he was a heartthrob, I don't know that anyone would get that out of watching this movie. Um, I don't know. I That all kind of passed me by. Do you recall the Devin Sawa phenomenon? No, I just always knew his name. He just, there was always like, oh, and Devin Sawa. Like, who's, I always, I don't know. Maybe I confused him with, is there a, uh, who is a teen star, Devin, a female teen star? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? I feel like there is someone who had a similar name who was a female teen star at the time. And I can't think of what it is, but you're right about that. Yeah, I think you should look up how the hell female teens name. Female Devin. teen star Devin. Yeah, I don't think that's really going to get us <laughs> Devin Erickson results. No, no, she's 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 old. Was it, it was an Aoki, right? Or something. like There that. is a no, Devin Aoki. Not, not, but yeah, not Devin Aoki. She was a little later than this, I think. I feel like. Hmm. Um, well, anyway, 
not the most memorable of actors, but no, he's no. still working a lot. But anyway, he, he he didn't become a huge star, but he managed to continue to have a career despite the failure of this film. So I do want to ask Dave, did did you enjoy this? Eh, not really. <laughs> uh, I just like you guys were saying, it just doesn't go far enough in any of the things it's trying to do. Like it, it's never funny enough. The gore is never out there enough. And uh, even the stoner stuff isn't really all that funny. It's just. Yeah. Uh, Get more stone, fellas. Yeah. Half baked, Dave. It's mm. not funny, and I don't think I laughed at anything. And again, I just feel like I just hated these people. I just thought they were all awful. They weren't amusingly clueless. They were just really kind of reprehensible. Well, um, let's rate it out of five idle hands. I mean, obviously, that's what it's got to sure. be. Yeah. I, honestly, I was like, yeah, this is cool. I'm down. I gave it three. That's probably overrating it by a half or a full <laughs> Man, but but I'll stick with three because you guys are going to crush it. So. Yeah, that is a generous rating. I'm going to give this one and a half hands. This is honestly, I feel like one of the worst movies that we've talked about on this podcast. I love. That. I won't say that it's. I won't say that it's the worst because I'm sure there's something else that maybe I know who killed me or something that um, beats this. But it's it's really quite bad. So, uh, Dave, how would you rate this? I'm going to go two and a half. Uh, I went three on Letterboxd because I was feeling generous, but I don't really feel as generous anymore, so I'm bringing it back down. <laughs> All right. I, I feel like that's the highest possible rating for this movie, but uh, yeah, Jason, it's nice of you to be so generous. I mean, it's probably two and a half, but I'll I'll stick with three. Why not? Okay. So. No, stick, stick to your guns. Don't. Yeah. Don't I'm the people's choice of the of this uh, group, Josh, so the I got to stick choice, with- The teen choice? Yeah, I'm the hottest Jessica of this group, so I have to you stick are. with- You are. the Devin the Sawa of this group. <laughs> well, no, that's not a good thing. I think you'd rather be the hottest Jessica. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I've always wanted to be the hottest Jessica, though. Yeah, of course. All right. We'll come back and talk about the legacy of Idle Hands. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special Halloween bonus episode, we are talking about Idle Hands from 1999, an apparently popular movie with our listening audience that we have now insulted. So, I mean, part of it has to be that I know you don't like her as an actress, but of, of you know, the teen female stars, everyone had a crush on Jessica Alba back in the day. She is a... A stunning, uh, a stunning beauty. But, um, you know, you don't even think she was good on Dark Angel or anything like that. I mean, I never watched Dark Angel, although it seems like the kind of show that I would have watched at yeah. that time, but I never did. So maybe maybe she's passable in some something that I haven't seen or that I don't recall. But I don't think that she was ever a particularly good actor. She is very beautiful, of course. And apparently is a very talented uh, businesswoman. Entrepreneur. Far more successful there, yeah, than she ever was as an actor. But um, no, I, I can't really say anything positive about her acting abilities. I mean, Honey? <laughs> I have seen Honey, actually. I think I reviewed Honey. I think but... her best that I've seen her in is Sin City, where, you know, she gets the Rodriguez darkness in there. Right. And I think Rodriguez maybe has the right idea about where to put her or how to play to her strengths or whatever. So she works with him a bunch of times, including in the Sin City movies. And I I, I agree. I think she is probably right for that. I, I did watch, I think the last 
really notable thing she did was that uh, weird bad boy spinoff called L.A.'s Finest. Yeah. And where she plays a cop and that was not good and she was not good in it. But yeah, she's like a billionaire. She founded the, the, yeah, honest, the honest Company. company. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, what is it like? It maybe is it baby products mainly or is it also just regular beauty products? I think it's all those things. Maybe it started for like, you know, a company for women by a woman, right? Type thing. And now it's expanded out. But it was baby and mom products, I think. Yeah. And that she she sold the company, but she's still involved in running it. So she's she's hugely wealthy from that far more than her acting and Again, she just kind of acts sporadically at this point, it seems like, when she feels like it, because she probably doesn't need to. And good for her. She's got like four kids or three kids or some number of kids. And <laughs> she's busy with other stuff. And that's fine. As you mentioned, Devin Sawa, he was a child star from Little Giants and Casper and Now and Then. And I think most people probably know him as Stan in the Eminem video. Yeah. And, but, uh, you know, as you pointed out, maybe he didn't become a massive star, but he certainly continued to have a career. He's not hurting for work. He does a lot of B movies and stuff like that. He's currently on the Chucky TV series, which is quite entertaining. And um, he gets to play like multiple parts on that. He's having a good time with that show, clearly. So maybe, you know, in some cases, it's actually maybe better for these people not to become massively huge stars at the age of 18 or whatever. And it, it takes a toll on people. And he's probably more well-adjusted where he's at now. If I could throw in there, uh, he was recently in Glenn Danzig's Death Rider in the House of Vampires, which we covered for our 200th episode of Piecing It Together. And uh, someone recently asked me uh, where they can watch the movie. And so I actually contacted the distributor to find out. And they just replied, we are no longer handling this movie. So I have well, no yeah, idea when a, anyone will be able to see it. So That is weird how that movie has just disappeared. You would think that Glenn Danzig would be it and his cult following would be enough to get it somewhere. But yeah. That's kind of amazing that he was in that because he was also in the movie The Fanatic directed by Fred Durst. Mm -hmm. How many people have been in movies mm. directed by both Fred Durst and Glenn Danzig? What a career. <laughs> you know, I guess, Josh, that movie is not about to see your light. Oh, that's a lyric from a Glenn Danzig song. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That was joke. not a very good one. Oh, not about to see your night. Thank you. I think you need to go back to the idle hands puns. Those were working out better. I'm over it, bro. <laughs> All right. Whatever. So, yeah, this movie was not uh, a launch, a career launch for anyone involved, really. Uh, Rodman Flender, the director, did not direct another movie until 2014, although he's a very prolific. TV director, as we said, I think he worked on Dawson's Creek and lots of other TV series. So he's doing fine, but certainly he did not get to be a big feature filmmaker. He directed one other movie in 2014 and then another horror comedy in 2019, which I'm sure is not very good, but it has a great title. It's called Eat Brains Love. Mm. So nice. That is, speaking of puns. Actually, there's two things we should mention from Rodman Flender is his documentary work. I would li like to see this. He did one of those like deep dives like dig you know the movie dig what about brian jonestown massacre and uh the dandy warhols oh yeah he didn't direct that movie no he didn't direct that movie but he did one called let them eat rock about a boston band called the upper crust for years and years he followed them and then he directed conan o'brien can't stop when conan left the tonight show and went on tour yeah i mean i'm sure he's a reliable director for hire in those kinds of projects but he never 
you know, if he was trying to be a horror visionary, like that quote from Seth Green implies, did not work out for him. He also had directed Leprechaun 2 before this, which I sadly I have seen. Um, he's not he's not going to be mentioned alongside uh, Dario Argento on the horror legends list. Seth Green directed a movie called Changeland. I've never seen that. Have you? No, no. And Seth Green, I feel like as far as uh, entertainment goes, I mean, he's not a billionaire like Jessica Alba, but he's probably the most successful in show business coming out of this film. I mean, he was a pretty big teen star in the 90s and the early 2000s with his role on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and stuff like Can't Hardly Wait and the Austin Powers movies. And he does a lot of voice work. He's on Family Guy. I mean, that's that in and of itself is just like a massive institution. But he was in Buffy back in the day. You know. Right, right. He was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, he co-created and produces and voices a bunch of things on Robot Chicken, which I was amazed to learn is still going. It mm-hmm. just finished its 11th season earlier or yeah. earlier this year or last year or something. I had no idea that that was still a thing. He's won three Emmys for Robot Chicken. And uh, they did a spoof of um, this movie on Robot Chicken called Idle Nuts about a, a dis, uh, you know, a disenfranchised ball sack with testicles, Josh, that just did whatever it wants. Yeah, that sounds about right for, for Robot Chicken. And I haven't seen that, but I'd be willing to bet that that's certainly not less funny than <laughs> Idle Hands. Not less funny. Uh, it's a funny concept, Josh. Uh, it's just oh, yeah. teabagging everyone at will, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hilarious. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like Seth Green. He's uh, He's a fun, he seems like the kind of, you know, self-aware guy who's grateful for success. He's happy to make fun of himself like in that on Idle Hands or whatever. So I'm, I'm all for Seth Green. Panab, played by Eldon Henson, was, of course, Fulton Reed in The Mighty Ducks. How did I let this one go? He's been in yeah, the MC- MCU and he's in Hunger Games, you know, stuff like that. So Yeah, and he's returned on the, the Mighty Ducks, like, revival show, right? Have yeah. you watched that? Didn't I watched the yeah. first season, but... Once Emilio Estevez left because he refused to be vaccinated, I was out too. Although I wish he would have just gotten vaccinated, you know. Right, so. right. Um, yeah, I know him as as Foggy Nelson in the the MCU Daredevil, uh, his law partner, and he was a big part of the Daredevil TV series on Netflix, and is I think going to be in the new Daredevil yeah, revival on Disney Plus. So uh, that's I didn't realize he was such a big child and teen star. I was like, oh, it's Foggy Nelson, but I guess no, it's I, Fulton I Reed. The Mighty Ducks. Yeah. yeah, I still have never seen any of the Mighty Ducks. I, I really blew it in 1992 by not picking the Mighty Ducks. When we do a, a recast season, I'm going to do it. Josh Vivica A. Fox is one of these actors, like we talk about, who has a thousand projects in the works. She has 13 movies coming out or being developed or in production. She is like like one of those big, huge uh, straight to video or streaming stars of the day right now. We talked about her in Independence Day also. Yeah, and I don't know if we talked about this when we talked about her in Independence Day, but I feel like Dave is getting ready oh, yeah. to discuss the amazing Vivica A. Fox Lifetime movie franchise. Yes. The wrong something or other the wrong one, insert right? dave have you seen all of these pretty much yeah pretty much every single one they're they're the best lifetime movies and i believe she produces them along with starring well you know she has like a cameo in each one and she always has the titular line at the end of the movie you mess with the wrong whatever the title is you know oh, that's fantastic it's great and it's how great. there's like 20 of those yeah. aren't there something like that absolutely yeah 
<laughs> is there is there the wrong podcast? You know what? Not yet? yet, but I, I wouldn't doubt it. Maybe 2023 is the year. We'll see. Maybe they could combine that and Idle Nuts and she could be like, you messed with the wrong ball sack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that, Dave, you should start the wrong podcast, which is a podcast solely about those Vivica Fox movies. And you can go through one per episode. I really should do that. How I is might, he going to do that? It. With awesome Senate year and, you know, feel the burns in development. So many, oh, sure. so many podcast <laughs> ideas that are going on here. But yeah. hey, Josh, one thing we didn't talk about is like Fred Willard, Connie Ray, Kyle Gass, Tom DeLonge, Timothy Stack, Mindy Sterling all had little cameos in this thing. Yeah. And, and almost all of them more entertaining to watch than the actual stars of this film. So uh, I was real disappointed. When Fred Willard showed up at the beginning, he plays uh anton's father who gets killed at the beginning of the movie i thought oh hey at least fred willard is in this he's always amusing but no he just gets murdered immediately i just want to give one shout out to christopher hart who plays the idle hand and played the hand in the adams family thing yeah that is a weird kind of acting that he does well and i will say it to devon sawa's credit during the parts of the movie where the hand is still attached to him and he has to do this kind of physical comedy where you believe that his hand is acting on its own. I'm sure that's not an easy thing to do as an actor and make it convincing. So I, I'll give him credit for doing that successfully. I read that Christopher Hart is like, has a show in Lake Tahoe at one of the hotels. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's what he, that's what he should be doing. Like, you know, he has a show where he just waves his hand. No, he's a magician. He's a, oh, he's oh, a okay. Magician. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So. That's uh, we missed that essential detail, but yeah, I think we've I think we missed a lot, and we should just wrap it up. I did want to <laughs> note that the the writers of this film never wrote another movie. Wait a and second, they're both doing well as TV producers. They and are, writers, they so. are. Yeah. Yes, they've done a lot. Of, like Robin Flender, they moved into working in TV, and they they did have a career, but did not ever write another feature film. So yeah, and good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think we can wrap this up. You did, did you want to mention anything else on the on the legacy of this film? No, I was the one who said we should wrap it up. <laughs> I've just given you a chance just in case. All right. We'll wrap it up. That is Idle Hands. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Use your idle hand to click on us online and social media. Josh, enough with the puns already, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, we're all over social media. Awesome Movie Year. If you like listening in an RSS feed, Awesome Movie Year on, uh, that's .com, of course. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm Gopher Jason on Letterboxd. Jason Harris Comedy or J. Harris Comedy on the socials. Don't forget to check out Eats Comedy or come to a trivia night, the Trivia Party, which we do all the time. Also on Instagram, my website, Gopher Jason. Um, uh, the Idle Hand saw it and ran the other way. It was scuttering with its little fingers as feet. Yeah. Um, my website, joshbellhateseverything.com, doesn't also have that much to recommend it, but check me out at Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook, at Signal Bleed on Twitter, and at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where there's plenty of fans of this ridiculous movie. Yeah, we, I think that's where we got a lot of the feedback from people talking about how much they like this film. So hopefully they won't be too mad at our response to it. <laughs> so, Jason... It is still the Halloween season. We've got one more special episode to go. What is coming up in the next episode? Hey, man, it's one of the big ones we missed when we covered 1980. 
It's The Shining. Yes. Stanley Kubrick, Stephen King, certainly a major film from that year that a lot of people had mentioned to us when we were talking about 1980 on social media. So hopefully there's as much interest in that as there is in Idle Hands. <laughs> Tune in next time for The Shining. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.